Good morning, church family. We are back, not only back together, but back in Psalm 23 together. And so let's turn in our Bibles to the 23rd Psalm. Some of you know the drills and you've already done that. I'm glad for it. Um, let me just repeat something that was said when we began the study. I, my, my hope is that you'll just spend a lot of time uh, in our times together not staring at me. There's, there's no hope in that. But stare, stare at your Bibles, okay? As we look at this very precious and familiar song, Psalm 23, in, in many ways, describes a journey from one mountaintop to another. Verse 1, David says, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And what a mountaintop this is. For a person to be able to say, God himself knows me personally. I know God personally and intimately. And because of this relationship that he has enabled, he cares for me and guides me personally and powerfully as a shepherd, a good shepherd, loves and cares for his sheep. I lack nothing needful to live out the life that he has called me to live. Because he is sufficient, I lack nothing. And so the song begins then where the Christian life begins. The, the Christian life begins on this, this mountaintop of intimate, personal relationship with God himself. And, and we'll say more of this later, but let me just ask you, as I have throughout this time in Psalm 23, have, have you been to this mountaintop? Because remember, this isn't everybody's song. This psalm is not for everybody, though the, you've heard of cultural appropriation. The world has culturally appropriated this psalm. How many of you know that's, that ain't so? Can you sing as David does, you know, in light of this miraculous work of God by which I have been brought into relationship with him uh, all my days, each day I see off in the distance another glorious mountaintop. This, this is what I'm living toward. David says in verse 6, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That, that, that's my destination. That, that, that's my certain finish line, my eternal home. In fact, I'm journeying home even now. I'm assured of this. I'm not wondering about it. I know this because I know the shepherd. I'm on a pilgrimage home, and I'm nearly home even now. David's song ends then on another mountaintop, the Christian life culminates, doesn't it, with eternity in the presence of God and his people. Do you believe this? Because the thing of it is, it actually informs the way you live your life. Visibly, tangibly, and joyfully with my God, my good shepherd, and all of his sheep. And all along this pilgrimage, David sings, Christ, our good shepherd, nourishes his sheep. He 
is so sufficient that, that God's people are enabled by him to rest in him. Verse 2, he makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Where does the shepherd lead me? Well, he's always leading me into the life of obedience that brings glory to his name. As one of God's sheep, I live for the glory of his name. So there, there's the, the purpose of the Christian life. Someone, comes, uh, someone who is apart from Christ comes to you and says, hey, what's your deal? What's your purpose? The purpose of the Christian life is the glory of God's name. And the elephant in the room, sitting right next to these two mountaintops, these two lofty, truths, wonderful truths, is this. The Christian life is not lived out only on the mountaintops, is it? It just isn't. At times, the life lived for the glory of Christ's name uh, must uh, journey through deep and dark valleys. And some of you are in such a valley even now. Your mind has already gone to the, the, the details of the scenery of this valley that you're in. And we know all too well by experience that the paths of righteousness he leads us on for his namesake take us through some dark valleys, don't they? Now, why do I mention that? It sounds so obvious. I can see that on your faces, by the way. Why do I mention that? Because we we constantly need to be reminded in light of the false gospels that are preached to us by the culture All who live righteously for the glory of God's name must journey through dark valleys. There's not an exception to this. And so so we don't want to believe the lie that if you live for God, if you just have enough faith, uh, your life will always kind of go the way you want it to go. Do you realize that that is actually a, a popular false... That's basically the prosperity gospel. If you, if you just have enough faith, if you just live more the right way, then, then your life is going to go the way. That's, that's a lie. That's a lie. It's from the father of lies. It's from the ultimate crummy shepherd. And it is the opposite of the life that our good shepherd calls us to. And we don't want to believe the lie that troubles, even severe tribulations in our lives, always are caused by something wrong in our relationship with God. That is another heresy that inflicts the people of God when they listen to it. Is that true? Sometimes we fall in ditches we've dug for ourselves. Pfft, yeah, but, but, the, but that's not always the case, is it? So David sings in verse 4, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. That phrase, shadow of death, is one Hebrew word, and it appears 20 times in the Old Testament. And I don't share that just to be tedious, but to to give us a sense that whatever this shadow of death is, it is not a rare occurrence among God's people. 
And it refers in, in, in the broadest sense, first of all, to uh, the crisis that comes to a person that faces physical death. And, and, and already some of the air came out of the room because we live in a world that doesn't want to talk about death. We busy ourselves trying to deny the fact that there is a 100% death rate among people. I mean, just do the math, right? It's not complicated. Men and women created to live, not to die, nonetheless journey through this gateway, physical death. And listen, it's perfectly normal not to be enthused or delighted about this gateway. So the person who says, well, eh, that's no big deal to me, I'm not buying it. What do I mean by that? It, it, it's, not, it, it's not death so much. It's the, it's the dying part that concerns us. I, I'm not saying this to be funny. It actually isn't. There's nothing funny about this. What's funny is that we deny talking about this stuff in light of the math I mentioned earlier. Death's gateway is a mystery to us before we go through it. God says to Job, Hey, Job, have, have the gates of death been revealed to you? Have you seen the doors of the shadow of death? No. No. Of course not. That, that's completely unknown to us by experience. But how many of you know it is not unknown to our, great, our good shepherd? More on that later. What is unknown, unexperienced by us, is often frightening, even, even dreadful, simply from a, from, a, from a sheer human standpoint. But, you know, there, there's more to this phrase, shadow of death. It, it refers more specifically to, the, to, to all that befalls God's people living in a world that is under the curse of sin. Sin casts a pretty dark and wide shadow over humanity. Have you noticed this? And, and, and the root word that gives us this Hebrew word that's translated shadow of death has a, has a tone to it. Words are kind of like paint in that way. There's, there's a tone to it. It, it, it means to, to press, to, to darken, even to turn black. Uh, the, the tone is one of gloom. And so David sings of being led through uh, a gloomy place. And, and this, this shadow of death is often an emotionally gloomy place. How, how far does sin's curse cast its shadow? Well, think of it this way. All the miseries God's people don't want to experience in this life and will never again experience when our journey home has ended. All of that stuff. And, and I just came up, you know how this works. I came up with the easy stuff. You guys come up with the more difficult stuff. Sickness comes to mind. Reminding us that um, we're, we're not going to forever be in this state. Persecution. Some of you. I am praying fervently for because you are in a spot where you're being told, sign this thing or agree to that other thing or you don't work here anymore. 
And, and you're, do you care if this is practical for a minute? And, and your conscience is troubled by this because you're one of God's kids. Your conscience should be troubled by that. But it's kind of a gloomy business, isn't it? Wondering whether you're going to have an income. Someone was telling me, a dear sister was telling me just last week, old age sometimes can be a gloomy business. And you decide what old age is. I, for, me, for me, it changes every year what, what I consider old age. So if you want to, if that's how you deal with it, that's, you know, join me. Um, loneliness. Pain. Physical or emotional pain. Mourning the death of a loved one. This, this church family is being led through a season of this. The darkness of temptation towards sin. The anxiety, the, the broodiness that comes from our own sense of, of weakness when we face what God has called us to do. So we know what it is to have a sense of gloom. And how many of you are glad today that we're not just going to focus on gloom? <laughs> we're going through the valley. We're not being, simply being led to it. But we know what it is to live in the valley of, of death's shadow. We're not always on the mountaintops, though we want to stay there, don't we? In fact, people naming Jesus do all sorts of weird stuff in the name of pretending they're always on the mountaintop. That's a different sermon. But it's all over um, Christendom, let's put it that way, these days. I think of... Um, in the, the Gospels, the account of the Jesus' transfiguration. Do you remember reading of this? And Jesus is, you know, takes his A-team up on the mountain. You got you know, Peter, James, and John, and they're with him. And, and Jesus is just radiating, and it isn't that glory is, is shining on him. Glory is shining from him because he's God. Jesus is God. And, and, the, and the, the apostles, the disciples see Moses is there, and Elijah is there. And, and Peter speaks up, bless his heart, and says, we should stay here, and we should build some stuff. You know, just to kind of commemorate all of this. And what does Jesus say? Just loose paraphrase, but he says, you know, we're going back down there. There's a guy possessed with a demon down there. And people are dying down there. And people are lost in sin down there. You're not staying on this mountaintop. Some of you read um, this past week, 1 Samuel 17. Did anybody do that as was suggested? A couple of you. Uh, you have two friends in the early service. I hope you get to meet them <laughs> one day. Um, but but if, if you read that, you, you read of a, a valley of, of gloom in David's life. Here, here is David standing in the, the, the valley of Elah, uh, where the Philistines and, and their champion, Goliath, are taunting the people of God. And, and the whole army of Israel, even King Saul, uh, they're all dismayed. The scripture says they're greatly afraid of this terrifying enemy. They're about to get jacked up. And they know it. And, and, and by God's good providence, 
David, little David is sent to make sure his older brothers have some food. And he sees all of this going on. And by faith, he saw that this threat from Goliath was no match for the living God. You see, what God's people had forgotten is not that Goliath is there, God is there. The good shepherd of his people, David's fear of of God was greater than his his fear of Goliath. And and, and there's a bit of that here in verse 4 of Psalm 23. David, who is now Israel's shepherd king, uh, sings for his fellow sheep (laughs) that it is not only possible, but listen, appropriate to journey through life's gloom without being a gloomy person. This is the part where some of you start taking notes. Let let me repeat this. It is not only possible, but appropriate to journey through life's gloom without being a gloomy person. (laughs) As fish swim in salt water, without getting all salty themselves. So the believer who follows the good shepherd journeys through these valleys of gloom without being penetrated by, overcome by, defined by that gloom. So I ask you again, is David singing your song? Notice in verse 4, And just, I think, I trust you know how this is going to go. We're not going to get past verse 4. So just settle in. But notice notice the word I. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. It's at this point that we're confronted once more with the reality that this is not everybody's song. What David sings in truth about himself uh, is not automatically true of all people. You say, well, I, I, know, this, I know the psalm, but, but do you know the shepherd? You see, that, that's the issue. David does. He says, I will walk. I will fear no evil. Just as God, by his word, spoke light into darkness at creation, so God has sent light to pierce the darkness of all of this gloom for his people living under sin's curse. How many of you know the whole world, apart from redemption, is a gloomy place? Why is that? Because apart from Christ, this life is the closest anybody ever gets to heaven. What has God done? The people who walked in darkness, says Isaiah, have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. What a a wonder is that prophecy. God, by the living word, the Lord Jesus Christ, promised and has now fulfilled that promise to bring light and enduring hope to a people living in gloom. Jesus, the good shepherd, has come, says Luke 1, to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. 
See, Psalm 23 is all to do with one who is at peace with God through the work of this good shepherd, through the work of Christ. We just sang about that, didn't we? O come, thou dayspring, come and cheer our spirits by thine advent here. Disperse the gloomy clouds of night and death's dark shadows put to flight. Our Jesus has done this. Our good shepherd has served us in this way. The good shepherd has come and the good shepherd who gives his life for the sheep has done so at Calvary, that bloody cross, and he has defeated sin, and he's defeated sin's death, and he gives a share of this victory to all who are his. He has done this for his people. And through his resurrection from the dead, sin and its curse are conquered by the good shepherd for his people. That's why, that's why we who are members of God's flock are always looking to that next mountaintop. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's where I'm going. Why? Because of what he has done for me. I belong to him. And Christ declares all who believe in him, who, who follow him as sheep follow their shepherd, to be fellow conquerors, to be joint heirs with him. So on the gloomiest day, listen, you have gloomy days? Of course you do. On the gloomiest day, I am a cherished heaven-bound sheep in God's flock. The worst thing that can happen to me, really, is that I go home before I expect to. And that's not a cavalier thought. That's not... um, uh, uh, unrooted in reality. This is the promise of God for his people. And, and so I ask you again, has this, has this miracle occurred in you? you? You've been moved by the Spirit of God to repent of your sin, to repent of, of, of that life of sin that separates you from God. Have you you been brought to a place of of faith in Christ? You're trusting only in his work for you to be at peace with God? Or as as David might ask, is the Lord your shepherd? Or does the lasting gloom of knowing you are not right with God still casting its dark shadow over you? Now it's instructive. Are you still listening? It's instructive, isn't it, that uh, the danger God's sheep experience is merely the shadow of death. Don't miss that. But why do I mention that? Well, uh, the shadow of a snake can't strike you, right? The the, the shadow of a a lion can't uh, devour you. Um, and, And the shadow of even physical death cannot touch you in some final sense. In other words, it it is not the the outer darkness, the endless darkness of God's wrath faced by those who are apart from Christ. That's what I meant earlier when I said, hey, for those who who don't know the Lord, this is as close to heaven as you get. 
And it's also instructive, isn't it, that the presence of a shadow suggests something else. I asked you this in the pastorgram, and four of you, we now know, read it, two in each service. And the question was, what is implied by the fact that there is this shadow, this gloom? And, and the answer is, <laughs> why would I ask that question? That's the answer. No, the, the answer is, light is nearby. That, that, that's the definition of a shadow. If there were no light, there would be no shadow. And so think about what David is singing here. I will let the shadow of death itself remind me of my good shepherd's presence. Do you ever think of your valleys that way? Reminders of your good shepherd's presence? And so David says, I, I will fear no evil. I will. That, that's a strong double negative. It, it's, it's, I will never, ever fear evil. And you say, well, wait a minute now, because it seems to me David did kill Goliath. That's true. But, but didn't David also run for his life from Saul? Seems like I read that someplace. Isn't this the King David who ran from the thugs who had aligned themselves with, with his bratty son Absalom? Isn't David the one who feigned lunacy because he was so afraid of the king of Gath? And you realize perhaps that David in his humanity uh, was not always the best example of his own songs. Just the way you and I are not always the best examples of the songs we sing together on these Lord's Days. But, but here's the thing. David, th this is the word of God <laughs> before it's the word of David. Amen? And so there's, there's not duplicity in what David is saying here. This is not a statement of hypocrisy. Uh, when he says, I will fear no evil, uh, he, he, he is not saying that the sheep never experience fear. How many of you know that is also a lie? And aren't you, doesn't it just give you relief to know that to be afraid is to be normal, right? Despite all the other ways you're abnormal, that's, that's not one of them, right? There's been a lot of that in Psalm 23, because it deals with life as it actually is. Well, what does he mean? Well, well, he's talking about what faith does with these feelings of fear. So the issue is not, are you afraid? It's, what do you do with it? Another of David's greatest hits, Psalm 56, says this, Whenever I am afraid, I will trust in you. So, so it, it's not if I'm afraid, it's when. It's going to happen. I look through the, the shadow of, of gloom to the light of my good shepherd. The fact that there's even a shadow there means he is near. And he's near for me and in strength. And so David is singing about this debilitating fear of evil being displaced by a lively faith in the goodness of his shepherd. Do you realize that your shepherd is good? And that his goodness is directed at you personally? It's not a generic thing? That, that his goodness is being directed to you in the middle of this valley that you're in? 
In fact, later David will say, surely goodness and mercy follow me. Um, literally, they, they chase after him. He, he, he can't get away should he want to. He can't get away from the goodness and mercy of God. And so David is saying, never does my good shepherd lead me onto paths intending for me to be destroyed, intending for me to be harmed. Uh, he, he doesn't lead me on these paths of righteousness, but they're sort of sloppily made, you know, carelessly made. Every valley he takes me through is purposeful, is purposeful. He's leading me in a direction for my good by his measure. I will never, ever fear that God has somehow changed his mind with respect to me as one of his sheep and now purposes to harm me. Don't, don't believe that about God. The enemy of souls, however, does desire to harm in the valleys, doesn't he? Um, Joseph said that very thing to his brothers. The tail end of, of Genesis there's a, there's a summary of this, but remember, uh, Joseph speaks to his brothers about the wretched experience that he had, thanks to them, basically. And you see, his brother's betrayal and his brother's cruelty was evil. God was not the author of that evil. Uh, the false accusation of Potiphar's wife against Joseph was evil. God was not the author of that evil. The forgetfulness of Joseph's cellmate, Pharaoh's butler, what a, what a gem he was, right? Um, was evil. God was not the author of that evil. And yet, Joseph says that long, dark valley in my life was used of God to bring about the rescue of his people Israel. As for you, Joseph said to his brothers, you meant evil against me. But God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day, to save many people alive. Now, therefore, do not be afraid. It's what God does in the valley <laughs> that we're meant to keep our eyes fixated on. I wonder if there might be American Christians who would be helped by this reminder to the extent the church in America is in a valley. I think if you looked at the church in America through the lens of church history, most of us would just stop talking about persecution and such. What, what we have enjoyed in this country is, a, is an abnormality in church history, a blessed abnormality. But, but wouldn't it be a wonderful thing to be reminded that God is at work in this valley? And the work that God is doing is good, is good. Why does any shepherd lead his sheep through the valley? Did you pick up on that in, in Ezekiel 34 when Pastor Sean was reading that earlier? Well, the, the, the green pastures are on the mountaintops, aren't they? The, the, the still waters are on the mountaintops. And so, so we're not staying in the gloomy place, we're going through it. And, and, and the gloomy place is not the destination. It, it, it's the scenery that you're going through at present to get to that next mountaintop with your Lord, your shepherd. You get to the high 
summer pastures, in other words, by journeying through the dry and dangerous valleys. And and that's how it is for God's people. If we're going to get to higher ground with God, we must journey through these valleys. And yet how many Christians speak of desiring the the higher plane, the, the, the higher spiritual life, but we, you know we don't we don't want to live in the lowlands of, of of this life. Uh, we want that intimate walk with God, and maybe we even envy those who who seem to experience this this deeper walk with the Lord. Um, but we forget that that comes from following Him through some valleys, doesn't it? There, there's not a shortcut. I was talking to some dear people after the first service. Do you know there's an early service at eight thirty? <laughs> I was talking to a couple of people who went to that service and, and she was sharing with me how the Lord had just uh, convinced her through her own study of Psalm 23 uh, that you know there are times when we want to rush through the valley. So it isn't just that the shepherd leads us through them, but he, he sets the pace. And, and I pray that encourages you, those of you who are in a valley and you've been in one for a very long time. There's not a shortcut. There's not a fast forward button because your good shepherd loves you and he loves you too much to hit fast forward, to give you a shortcut. Philip Keller, uh, the shepherd turned pastor, put it this way. He said, just as water can only flow in a ditch, or channel, or valley, so in the Christian's career, the life of God can only flow in blessing through the valleys. Valleys that have been carved and cut into our own lives by excruciating experiences. Wow. Wow. And at this point, and really this is the beginning of the sermon, okay? Because it's at this point that that we have to be reminded that we're, we're getting a sheep's eye view of the shepherd. And, and so, so what is um, required, if you will, of the sheep who, who live with this orientation toward the good shepherd? Well, notice in, in verse 4, uh, there is a, a certain mindset. David says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, and that is not the, Yea, I'm so glad I'm suffering. All right? I mean, if, if that's you uh, in an attempt to, to kind of sound super spiritual, um, mostly you just sound weird, all right? That, that's not the normal human experience to suffering. I'm so glad I'm suffering, okay? The Christian Standard Bible just, just nails it here. Even when I walk through the valley. In other words, it's going to happen. It's, it's, not, a, it's not a possibility. It, it's a certainty, And so we're reminded that life's valleys are not merely inevitable. They are necessary if I'm to mature in Christ. They're necessary if I'm to mature in Christ. Peter, in his first epistle, says this, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise and honor and glory 
at the revelation of Jesus Christ. I mean, if you're looking at that passage in your Bible, maybe circle if need be. What an interesting phrase. These are necessary valleys, necessary trials. And so, so there's a resolve, not, not, a, not a defeated pessimism, a resolve. Because the trials that God leads his sheep through are purposeful. They're not pointless. And secondly, life's valleys are not a destination. You're not staying there. They are a temporary pathway to God's glory in his people. What, what, what's the purpose of the Christian life? The glory of God's name. Again, 1 Peter 1, If you call on the Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear, in reverence to God. What a, what a strange phrase. Throughout the time of your stay here. That's how Peter encapsulizes all of your life as a believer. Throughout the time of your stay here, well, that sounds like you're on a short trip and you're on your way home. And do you know why that is? It's because you're on a short trip and you're on your way home. This is the Christian mindset. And then there is a manner of living Still in verse 4, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Notice the word walk. I, I'm to, to walk by faith. I'm not to stop in fear. You're, you're meant to keep going with the Lord. Don't stop looking to Him. Don't stop leaning on Him. Don't pull yourself away from the very means of grace he provides for you to keep going. And why am I saying that with such um, vigor? Because I have learned firsthand from a long season of my own life the stupidity of not doing that. This is a walk. And so I'm meant to take the next step of obedience to God. And how often we just want to see the whole route in front of us, don't we? If only I knew for sure where this was going to end up, then I'd know what to do. And God says to us, what? No, by faith I want you to do the next thing I show you to do. And then do the next thing after that. Secondly, I'm to walk in his ways. I'm not to run off the paths of righteousness. How many of you know that when sheep are frightened, they run and, and when God's sheep are frightened, sometimes they are quick to run off the paths of righteousness. In, in a group of people this size, uh, surely that's relevant to some of you in this very room. You're, you're in a valley, and, and you're tempted to take the quick way out. You're, you're tempted to take the, the, the less painful way out. Uh, the, the route that other people will affirm, by the way, but they're going to take you off of the paths of righteousness. And your own conscience tells you that. That's a gift from God. And finally, there is a mercy to receive. There's a mindset to embrace. There's, there's, a, there, there's a manner of living uh, and, and there's a mercy to receive. I will fear no evil for you are with me. 
your rod and your staff, they comfort me. What a, what a wonderful change occurs here in this song. All along, David has been singing about God. Did you notice that? Now all of a sudden, he's singing to God. How many of you know there's a huge difference between talking about God and talking to God? And I wonder if that might be instructive to some of us in all of its simplicity who think that we're going to reach the mountaintop by studying mountaintops. Do do you see how silly that would be? No, the sheep have to keep moving. And they have to keep following the good shepherd. David sings now to God, you are with me. So this is intensely personal. This is intensely um, um, intimate, if you will. It's just between the shepherd and the sheep now, the individual. And the rest of the flock is here, and their presence is an encouragement. And their example is very helpful. But what I have noticed and what you have noticed as well is nobody else can obey God for you. Nobody else can live by faith in God for you, by proxy. This is ultimately between you and me and our shepherd. And and what David thrills in is that the, the darker the valley is, the closer the shepherds touch. There is no such thing as a valley where he is not present and present in strength. Does not the scripture say then, draw near to God and he'll draw near to you? And he is present by his spirit with power to protect and and, and to guide and to comfort. It shouldn't surprise any of us that we can testify to having some of the most difficult experiences in our lives as believers and also say, you know what? There's just no way I would be as close to the Lord now had I not gone through those. And, And you're not bragging in yourself, you're boasting in your Lord. That's how faithful he is. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Let's just end with this and not get too awfully hung up on whether there are two devices in the shepherd's hands or one. Some of you have read of shepherds that they carry a club or a, and, and a staff, and, and then there's other shepherds who say, no, 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 the staff does the job. It's, it's, a, it's kind of a one all-purpose instrument, that sort of thing. And, and that is really not the point at all. Uh, the, the point is, what, what does the shepherd do? What, what does he provide? Well, the, the, the shepherd's staff, as you know, has a crook in it that's really good at grabbing the little sheep when they stray away or, or, or when they simply get stuck someplace. And, and our good shepherd, do you, didn't he say, no one will snatch you out of my hands? And doesn't he say, again, in 1 Peter 1, that, hey, my sheep are kept by the power of God? for salvation in other words you can't even wiggle out of his hands and you don't want to and the staff also is used to lift the wool of the sheep and why why would a shepherd do that because there's ticks and fleas and all kinds of disgusting things under there that you can't see sores that the sheep is 
maybe not even aware of, and, and the shepherd has to use the, 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 the staff in such a way to, to, to reveal that. How many of you know that there sometimes are, are valleys that God uses to expose what we otherwise would not have been aware of? And so we cry out to him, trusting that he is doing this good work. The shepherd's rod, as you know, defends the sheep from predators. How many of you know that no um, experience (laughs) comes to you outside the sovereignty of your God? You say, well, how does that work? I I don't have a clue how that works. That's God's business. But there's simply nothing that we experience in this life that somehow occurs outside his sovereign love for his people. And the shepherd's rod is used to correct his sheep for their own good. And and so we're meant to cry out to him when we're feeling the the pain of discipline. It's, it's it's, It's like the shadow. It's a reminder that the shepherd is near, that his light is near. So whether the good shepherd's aim in the valley is to protect or to correct or to inspect, his work for me is good. Well, let's, let's end this thing, shall we? we? We don't get to decide whether we go through valleys. Don't live your life thinking that somehow you're the exception. If you're very young if you still think that. And like I said last week, buckle up, right? But here's the deal. You, you do get to decide how you react to them. The, the, the sheep do decide what they're going to do in the valley. And with Christ, because of who he is, we face calamities with faith in him knowing that it's the only sure way to reach that higher ground. Okay, that's it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this beautiful picture of shepherds and sheep to show us you, our good shepherd, and the the depth of your love for us, Lord. We thank you for reminding us at the communion table this morning that you give your life for your own. You are all sufficient for us. You have made it possible for us to live each and every day with an eye toward home where these valleys will no longer be our experience. But Lord, common to home, is what we experience now in that your presence is always with us. And so, Lord, I pray that we, your sheep, would learn more and more to follow close, to trust in you. Lord, as we live in a world of gloom, let it be the testimony of your people that we are not gloomy. In fact, we know where hope is found because it's found in you. We pray this, Jesus, for your namesake. Amen.